All right. Um, so we're going to be looking at Romans 12. Uh, we're continuing our series of uh, becoming. Uh, finding Jesus in one another. And uh, if you have any questions this morning, there'll be a little uh, number pop up there. You can text those questions through and uh, we will attempt to answer some of them uh, a little bit later. So feel free to send them through. Um, so so we're, we're looking at this idea of, of becoming, that we are all becoming something, or I would like to suggest more, we are becoming someone. And, uh, you know, we live in a very com- complex and busy world, and, and I believe in, in this complex and busy world that we live in, the power and the potency of the good news of Jesus is in its simplicity. Not, if we, if we com- make the, the gospel complicated, uh, then we are actually diluting it. When we add to the gospel, we are actually reducing its power. And so the, the simple message of Jesus is this, to love God and love others, to love others as he has loved us. That is the gospel simplified right down uh, to, to this one command that Jesus has given us. Um, in in uh, Galatians, Paul, he's writing to the Galatians because they have added to the gospels or people have, have convinced them that, that uh, we need to have Jesus plus So Jesus plus a whole lot of rules, uh, and he writes to them, and he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And so we we know that the simple message of Jesus is is the beautiful message of just loving others as he has loved us. And uh, uh, John Mark Homer, he said this, that we live in a busy and noisy world, and it's doing violence to our souls. And the power of the church, the power that we have as followers of Jesus is that we get to partner with him and disrupt the systems of the world that are causing chaos, distraction, disruption, disorientating people. And we have this simple, beautiful message that does not do violence to our souls, but heals our souls. And we get to carry that beautiful message everywhere we go. See, the kingdom is countercultural. It's upside down. When the world is saying chaos, we say peace, yeah? And we get to carry that message of peace. Yeah, so, um, so the truth is this, that, that we are all becoming something. So the series is becoming, but we are all becoming something. We are all being formed either intentionally or unintentionally. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we are being formed, both as individuals and also as a, as a body of people, as a church um, we are being formed. So this idea of formation is not a Christian thing. It's actually a human thing that we are being formed. And, and all of us are being formed by something. We, we are formed by the stories that we believe. We are formed by the habits that we have. Uh, who knows that we form our habits and then our habits form us. And so we are always being formed by something. As, as followers of Jesus, we are choosing to not be formed by the things around us, but we are, being cho- we are choosing to be formed from the inside out by this person called Jesus and by his spirit alive in us. And so, so as followers of Jesus, we are people who say we don't want to be unintentionally formed by the world around us. We want to be intentionally formed by Jesus. So we are not, no longer formed by our story, but we are formed by the story of Jesus. And, and so in this, we are becoming. We are becoming like Jesus as we are being formed by his story. 
See, the truth is this, that most people aren't in danger of destroying their lives, but many are in danger of wasting their lives. At Dallas Willard, he said that spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So I wonder this morning, have you, have you ever thought, what does God want? What does he want in all of this? You know, often we, we, uh, we come to church or we're part of a, a community of faith. Uh, often we, we come maybe with the ideas about what we can get out of it. Um, you know, in the world there's definitely this idea of, uh, you know, what's in it for me? You know, and that's becoming stronger and stronger and stronger in our society that we will only do something if there's something we can get out of it. But have you ever thought, what does God want? What is it that he wants? I would like to suggest that what God wants is his image restored on the earth. What was stolen, what was taken in the Garden of Eden, he wants restored in the earth. And we know that Jesus came, died, and was resurrected so that we could be recreated into the image of God so that we can be image bearers once again of who he is on the earth, seeing his kingdom restored on the earth. That's what God wants. Anyone else want what God wants? Yeah. Now, this is why we're here, right? This is why we exist. So this... Totally. We're more blessed when we give than when we receive. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's the kingdom at work. It's good, eh? So, so the question for us is, um, you know, what are we becoming? What, who are you becoming? What, and are we becoming more like Jesus? See, spiritual maturity is simply this, to become more like love. If we're becoming like Jesus, we are becoming more like love. So if what you are doing in your following of Jesus as a believer is not producing love, then potential is we're heading the wrong way. That's a really good measure. Am I becoming more loving? Am I becoming more patient? Is there more joy in my life? Am I becoming more like Jesus? That's the goal. Um, So in John, before Jesus went to the cross, he said to his disciples, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, people will know that you are my disciples. So as we become love, people recognize, hey, there's a Jesus follower. So the old command was this. Jesus gave a new command. The old command was love one another as you love yourself. So the old command was based on your ability to love. It was based on the way that you see yourself. But the new command is this, that that Jesus has come into the world to show us what love looks like. Now go and love as you are loved. Go and love as you are loved. So we receive love and we give away love. We receive love, we give away love. And as we do that, we are becoming more and more like him. Isn't it good? Yeah. So um, before we, you're probably thinking, wait, we haven't even got to Romans yet. That's true. Um, uh, in 1 John 4, <laughs> we're not, still not going to Romans. Uh, <laughs> uh, in 1 John 4, it's a, a really good passage. If you read from 7 to 21, I won't read all of it now. Um, 
But uh, in, in seven, verse 17, it says, this is, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment that in this world we are like Jesus. And, and so this passage is talking about this idea that, that if, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we aren't living in love, then, then John is actually saying we're, we're deceived. That, that if we hate a brother or a sister, if, if we're looking at others with hate, but then say that we love God, that actually we are deceived. And, and, and he goes on to say this, that, that this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment that in this world we are like Jesus. In other words, to this, that, that my confidence that one day I will stand before God with confidence is not that I have believed the right thing or read the, the right amount of books or read the Bible enough. It's that in this world I have made a decision. I want to be like Jesus. And one day I'll stand before God and, and you know, whether I got it right or wrong, the heart of it is this, that, that I live my life trying more and more just to be a little bit more like Jesus every day. And that's where confidence comes from. And, um, yeah, so, so John is talking about keeping or obeying this command of love. Um, now, when we talk about keeping or obeying the command, the, the idea that John is trying to communicate here is about protecting. So he's saying that, that if, we, if we love God, then we will try and protect the command of love, that we will try and protect love. It's a little bit of, of a different way of thinking about it, that we would want to be protectors of love in our community of faith, uh, in our society, in our community around us, that we are protectors of of love, so we demonstrate our love for God by protect, by protecting love amongst us, with one another. When we protect love with one another, we are actually demonstrating who God is. So, at the very heart of God is love, and God showed us what love is when Jesus came. It's almost like God God opened up His chest cavity, opened up His heart. And Jesus walked out and, and, said, and, and God said, this is what love looks like. Here's a walking, talking demonstration of what love looks like, and his name is Jesus. Here's my heart. And so we protect, when we protect love, we are actually protecting the witness of Jesus. We are protecting the witness of Jesus in our community when we, when we aim to protect love. So in, in Romans um, 12, verse 18, one of the verses there, it, it says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So from your end, protect love. Yeah, it doesn't matter what they do. They, they might be working to disrupt peace, but from your end, protect love. From your end, protect peace. Um, uh, Andy Stanley once said this, that whenever we see the church trying to win, we have already lost. See, see this idea of protecting love, we cannot protect love when we are obsessed with being right. We cannot protect love when we're obsessed with being right. Um, there's a guy called Shane Willard who is a great teacher. If you ever want to hear someone just unpack the scriptures in a profound way, um, search up Shane Willard. But um, he tells a story about one day um, going, he went over to Israel and he had some time with a, uh, a Messianic rabbi, so a, a Jewish rabbi who was a follower of Jesus. Um, and, and if you've ever heard a Jewish rabbi unpack the scriptures, like it's just, 
mind-blowing because they understand a whole lot more than what we do in our English Bibles. They just see it in a whole uh, new, new, new light. Anyway, he was uh, with this Jewish rabbi, and this, this uh, Jewish rabbi was just unpacking the Scriptures with him, and, and he was just so blown away by what he was explaining to him. Um, and he was going, oh, no way, no way. Um, you know, because that's kind of in our English, or, you know, this guy's American. That was kind of his way of saying, that's unbelievable. Um, and the Jewish rabbi thought that he was literally saying, I don't believe you. <laughs> like that he was saying, oh, I, I, don't, I just don't believe what you're saying. And so there's this communication breakdown. But this Jewish rabbi, in his humility, he says to Shane, he says, if, if I, it, to protect the, pr- the peace between us, I choose to be wrong. To protect the peace between us, I choose to be wrong. Why? Because for the Jewish rabbi, who let's understand this, this is probably someone who, who has matured deeply in the life and love of God, and he has discovered that true spiritual maturity looks like love, not being right. And so he, he decided that if it would protect the peace between them, he'd choose to be right. Uh, sorry, he'd choose to be wrong, even though he was most right. Anyway, Shane uh, then understood what he was saying. He said, no, 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 I'm, I'm saying I totally believe you. It's just blowing my mind. But anyway, so, so they're able to unpack that. But you know, um, Shane Willard went on to say this. He said, in, in order to study God and in order for the church, I believe, to get its credibility back, all of us have to lose our addiction to being right. So when, when we look at Romans 12, um, we come to Romans 12, and who, who has read all the way through Romans? A, a few people. D- did you get to kind of the end and like your eyes glaze over? And like, like it's a pretty tough book to get through. Um, and, and so for most people, you'd probably think that Romans is like Paul uh, giving like a theological dissertation, like he's waxing theological, um, and he's just trying to maybe impress us with all this theology. Um, but I would like to suggest that, that what Romans actually is is more of a pastoral letter than a theological letter. Um, Paul is addressing an actual problem in the church in Rome. So, so every letter that we have in the New Testament where Paul and, and Peter and John are writing letters to churches, they are addressing actual problems. So for us to understand the context of the letter, we have to understand what's the problem that he's trying to address. Now, the best way to read Romans, um, Scott McKnight wrote a book called Reading Romans Backwards. Uh, He suggests that the best way to read Romans is to read it backwards because the last chapter gives us all of the context for what this is all about. Um, So the last chapter, um, chapter 16 in Romans, is um, just a whole lot of greetings where Paul is saying, go and greet Theophilus and go and greet uh, Priscilla and Aquila and, and go and greet all of these different people. Normally, Paul puts the greetings at the start of a book, uh, at the start of a letter. But in Romans, he puts it at the end. And it's, uh, there's a really important reason why he does that. The other thing that's really interesting there is that he tells them to greet one another. In all of the other letters, he's greeting people. But in Romans, he tells everyone else to greet one another. So what happened in Rome uh, was at um, a, a certain point, I'm not 100% sure, I think around 49 AD, I think the time is, um, the Jews were expelled from Rome. So basically they were told to leave. So every Jewish person in Rome was basically picked up by the police one night and taken out. And so they all got expelled from Rome. And about, I think, between five to ten years later, they were allowed to come back. 
So what happened is you've got the Jewish people who were the first to receive the gospel and were in the church, generally the people with sort of the, the most prestige and status. They were the, you know, they're the originals, you know, they're the, the Israelites. Um, but they all got expelled. Now they've come back to the church in Rome and all of a sudden the, Rome, the Romans and the Greeks are the leaders in the church. And so Paul was addressing an issue where the, the roles have been reversed. Now we've got a whole lot of Jewish people coming back into society and back into the church, and they have no position, no status, no power. And so all through the book of Romans, you'll see Paul addressing people that are weak and people that are strong. What the, the, probably the better word to use is power. He's addressing the people that have power and the people that are powerless. And so the Jews have come back into the church, and they are, they are powerless and, and uh, there's, a, there's actually a, a bit of a tension going on in the church where there are those that think they have more status than others and are looking down on these Jewish believers that have come back into the church. And so Paul was addressing all of these issues, but what he does at the end is he makes them go, go and greet one another and hug one another. You people that think you have more power than the others, you go and greet Priscilla and Aquila. And so he's actually addressing the issue that he has been unpacking all the way through. Isn't that interesting? And so this is where we find ourselves uh, in Romans chapter 12. Um, so the interesting thing that I, that I think here is that Paul, Paul puts the emphasis on the powerful to cross the line. So the ones with power, the ones with status, the ones with privilege, he encourages them to bear the weaknesses of the powerless. In other words, he says, if you have privilege, you cross the line. But in the world, has anyone noticed in the world that we say everything is, is equal and free, but the powerless have to get up? In the kingdom, Paul says, no, the powerful go down. Interesting, eh? All right, so verse tw uh, chapter 12. Uh, so chapter 12 starts with this uh, word, therefore. And who knows that when there's a therefore, we've got to ask what is therefore, therefore. And so we've got um, Romans 9 to 11 that lead up to that. Um, if anyone has read Romans 9 to 11, they would have to be the most confusing couple of chapters probably in the Bible. And, uh, and so it's a really confusing therefore. Um, so chapters 9 to 11 are talking about the, uh, the election of Israel and uh, how they, they are the elect. What, what Paul is doing here is he's pointing out to the Greeks and the Romans that if it wasn't for Israel's story, you wouldn't even be here. And so while you think you have more power and status than them, they are actually the reason you are here. And, and the whole election of Israel was this, that Israel was elected on behalf of, for the benefit of all the world. Right? And so, so the Israelites are the called out ones on behalf of, for the benefit of all the world. Now the church is this word ecclesia. Anyone heard the word ecclesia? That's the, the Greek word for, for church. And it literally means called out ones. So just like Israel was the ones who were called out on behalf of, for the benefit of the whole world, guess who else is called out on behalf of, for the benefit of the whole world? You and I. Yeah? to carry his love into a lost and broken world. That's why we are here. 
All right, so, um, so chapter 12, um, now, now we know why the therefore is there. So um, verses 3 to 8, three to eight is um, Paul talking about how we are to serve one another in the body of Christ. So serving with humility. In verse 3 it says, for the, for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And he goes on to explain that we all have different gifts, but no gift is better than any other. No gift is more, uh, more prestigious, no gift has more status, no gift has more power than any other gift. We all just have gifts and we are called to serve one another with your gift. But my gift is, is, is leadership or you know, whatever you wanna call it. Um, I am just here to serve in the way that God has called me to serve. I have no more status and no more power than anyone else. And all of us have gifts and all of us have something to add to the body of Christ. And Paul was saying, whatever your gift is, use it to serve humbly. That's what the gifts are for. He goes on uh, into um, verse nine, this part that's called love and action. And he says this, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Have you ever thought, what, when is love not sincere? When is love not sincere? Love must be sincere. This, this word sincere means this. It means free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings or, or being authentic. 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 Paul was saying, let love be authentic. So the opposite of sincere is to be a hypocrite. You know, hypocritical love or, or to be two-faced, disingenuous. Insincere love is love with a hidden agenda. See, sometimes we can love someone or serve someone, but actually have a hidden agenda. Um, or, or there's love with strings attached. Ha, has anyone ever done something for someone, or, or they've asked you to do something, uh, or, or they've done something for you, sorry, they, they've come and done something for you, but you know that one day they're going to call on that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they, you just know that there was a string attached to that thing they just did. Uh, Paul was saying, don't do that. No, that's insincere love. Love that is sincere has no strings attached. It's an authentic love. So an authentic expression of of Christ on the earth looks and feels like love. Love looks like something and it feels like something. And this this word love is a verb. It's an action. It's a proactive expression of value for one another. See, sometimes um, the truth is sometimes we can serve others so that we are liked. We can serve others so that we are noticed. When we serve others so that we get something back in return, that is not love, it's actually manipulation. Because we are, we are actually manipulating people to give something back to us that, that they actually never asked to give. Love must be sincere. Verse 10, he goes on to say, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another in love. That's interesting, 1A, be devoted to one another in love. The word devoted means very very loving or loyal. Another way to describe it would be this, given over to the display, study, or discussion of. 
So what Paul was talking about here is actually knowing each other. Being devoted to one another is not just turning up one day a week. It's actually getting to know one another. Being devoted to one another. It's getting to know one another's flaws, but loving each other anyway. It's an unapologizing love, a forgiving love, an honest and challenging love, a unifying love, an enduring love. And it's the love that Jesus shows us. So, so the question I think we all must ask is how do we, how do we have that kind of devotion to one another? Because uh, if we're talking about knowing one, one another intimately, um, it's impossible for me to know all of you intimately. It's actually impossible for us to know everybody, in, even in this room right now, let alone those that couldn't make it this morning. How, how are we meant to know everyone? So the truth is we can't know everyone, but everybody can be known. Everybody can be known, and that's why we have things like small groups and squads, so that you can be in a knowing and being known relationship. So in small groups of two or three people, three or four people, you are able to get to know one another's flaws and love them anyway. Get to know the worst of someone and love them anyway. Get to know the best of someone and love them anyway. And in those knowing and being known relationships, we are living out this command to love one another as he has loved us. So being devoted to one another. The next one here is he said to practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. How good are we at this, practicing hospitality, both personally and collectively as a church? Are, are we just too busy are we just too busy? And uh, one of the things that I really feel um, strongly about, about this year, and, and I hope you've heard it coming through over the last few weeks as I've been speaking, that, that I, I just believe this year should be embodied with simplicity. If we're, if we're so busy doing church that we don't have enough time to be the church, we have missed the point big time. And, and so I really want to encourage us, let's, let's live a simple life this year so we've got time to practice hospitality to invite people into our homes and get to know them to love on them care for them let's practice hospitality this year um, one of the things that Ali and I were, were reflecting on just recently is um, but just the way Ali and I are both wired we're not particularly um, social people is, it, is that the right way to say it maybe um, we're not people that need other people lots in our, in our lives. Um, we're, we're, I'm quite happy to be alone. Maybe that's, I'm an introvert. Maybe that's the best way to say it. I'm an introvert. I love being alone. Um, but here's the thing. I have realized that, that for me, um, it's quite easy for me to be selfish with me. Because I don't really, I don't have this deep need to need other people. So I'm quite, it's quite easy for me to be selfish with me. But I have to realize that as a follower of Jesus, that that is actually, that is actually greed. And, and although I might not feel like I need other people, I know that other people need me. And, and so for me to be a part of a community of people means that even when I don't feel like it, I turn up. Because, because I might not feel like going, but someone there might need me there. You know, last week we talked about, about those three above-the-line aspects of, of presence, affection, and, and wine, and, and we talked about this idea that actually being present is actually really important. 
And we can go to church our whole life and never actually be present. Just like we can stand in a room full of people and still feel alone. Being present means that I'm actively participating in the community around me and I'm participating with people. It's, you know, I talked last week about being people that do do do's, not don't do's. You have to go back and listen to that one. All right. Are we doing okay? All right. Um, We're nearly ready for questions. Yeah, let's do questions now. Just one question. All right. Unless people suddenly send them through all at once. Yeah. Uh, With the example the rabbi made in choosing to protect the peace and being wrong, should we compromise the message of truth and the word by choosing to be wrong as well? Or is there a way to maintain truth while protecting the relationship with the other person too? Yeah, okay. So um, the the aspect here would be this, that we um, are called to speak truth and love. Um, The important thing that we have to realize here is that the, the passage that talks about speaking truth and love is in a letter to a church dealing with a particular issue. Um, and so speaking truth and love is about, is about protecting love in the community, the community of faith, our, our community. It's about how we speak with one another, not how we speak to the world. All right, so, so I think we need to differentiate those two. That, that's really important. Um, but we also got to remember that love looks like something. So if, if I'm going to go, okay, God has called me to live a life of love, what does that look like? The, the 60 different um, one another's in Scripture, really, really good example of what love looks like. Right, so if I'm going to speak the truth and love to someone, then it must be someone I'm devoted to. If I'm not devoted to this person in love, I have no right to speak truth into their life. Because all I'm doing, if, if, I, if, if I'm just speaking truth to someone that I am not devoted to in love, what I have done now is taken truth and turned it into a stone to stone someone instead of bread to feed someone. If truth is not feeding someone, then it has become a stone. And it has to feed them. And it has to be someone that I'm devoted to in love. I, I, even as the pastor, I have no right to speak truth to someone that I'm not devoted to. So, so I hope that helps, but like, we've got to look at these passages here to actually work out how we do this in love with one another. Yeah, does that make sense? Good, hope that was helpful. Is that the only question? Good. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Very good, very good. And, and I think people have a high authenticity radar too, eh? They'll know if it's sincere or not. And, and I think the reaction that you get from them will, will determine whether they think you've been sincere or not. Yeah. But the important thing is, are you devoted to this person? Show that you're devoted first. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. Yeah. All right, um, is that, that's it for questions? Gosh, we're not many questions today. Eh? All right. Um, the music team can come back. That would be great, thanks. And um, we will, I'll just give a final thought. Um, 
Yeah, so I, the, the question that I just want to leave us um, today is, is this. Uh, how important is protecting God's love for you? How important is protecting God's love for you? And, and this week, how can you actively do something that will protect love? How, how can you protect love in your marriage? How, how can you protect love in your relationships? How can you protect love with those around you, maybe in your squad or your, your small group? And, and I, I want to encourage you that with this thought that protecting love isn't, it, isn't just about not doing things. You know, the, the golden rule is not about not doing things. It's about actively doing things. So to protect love is, just to, is not just saying, well, I'm just not going to say mean things. No, pr- protecting love is to actively go and looking for things to do that will protect love in a relationship. And so it's an active thing, not a reactive thing. All right, so, so as we go this week, let's, let's consider how we can protect love in our church community, how we can protect love in our, in our work environments, wherever we are. Because as we protect love, we are demonstrating the goodness of God. We are showing the world around us what God looks like. Um, I, I had a, um, uh, someone was talking to me this week. I can't even rem- remember what, uh, what it was about. Um, but I said this. Um, I, I said I'd rather lose and protect the witness of Christ than win and have his witness compromised. For me, keeping and protecting the witness of Jesus, which is love, he is love. Protecting the witness of Christ is more important to me than winning any argument. See, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So as we um, gather around communion this morning, um, let's, let's remember him. Let's remember what he's done for us. Let's Let's thank him that he went first. What does love look like? It looks like someone going first. It looks like Jesus coming to us, dying on the cross for us to demonstrate what love looks like. Then he calls us to follow him. Love looks like hanging on a cross and a Roman soldier plunging a spear into your side and your life falling out onto the ground. That's what love looks like. And he calls us to follow him. Let's stand this morning as I pray and we gather around communion. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, we, uh, we, we just come this morning with just hu- humble gratitude. Jesus, we we come with vulnerability and courage this morning to say we and admit that we don't have it all together. I, I thank you, Jesus, for your grace. I, I thank you that I have nothing to add to what you have done. Anything that I would add to it is just complicating it. I thank you that you have come and taken away our sin. 
But Father, I also come this morning and admit that I'm still a sinner. I'm no better than anyone else. I thank you, Father, that as we go low, each of us, as we go low in humility and honor for one another, we actually elevate you and we lift you up. And I I thank you that as we do that collectively, that we show the world a beautiful demonstration of what love is. I thank you in in this complex and noisy world that we have an opportunity to show what the simplicity of following you looks like and how life-giving it is. We thank you for all you've done, Jesus. We love you, we honor you this morning. And we just thank you that this morning we would receive your love so that we can give away. Each time that we see a love deficit in our own life, let us not turn to striving, but let us just turn to you and say, God, I... I, I'm missing more of your love. There's something here that I'm missing. I need your love. I need more of your love, Father. Would you pour it in? We thank you that even in this moment, Father, that you, you're, you are here, your presence is here. We thank you that your love is here right now in this room. So, Father, we, we just take this moment to receive afresh your love. We thank you that you are always giving. You are the tap that never runs dry. You are the river that never runs out. We thank you for your love being poured in this morning. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's respond this morning in worship and communion. Feel free to respond in any way that you feel fit.